We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. She cried to the southern wind. Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Wide for Some Soccer. My name is Sucker Telney. Alongside me, Pablo Mauer. And what feels like, for the first time in years, Thomas Floyd. The band is back together. Thomas, welcome. I miss you guys a lot, and... I just barely hear that. Barely, barely audible. Yeah. I I miss you guys a lot, and really respect that the entire time I was gone, you chose not to do any shows at all. There's not uh, um, just oh, yeah. no. you know out of admiration and respect for me. Yeah. What? What? What you We say? tried to re- we tried to get Charlie Bohm on a free transfer, <laughs> but uh, decided we didn't want to pay your golden parachute fee. Yeah. So, uh, My agent worked that one out pretty well. Yeah. Guys, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the uh, big game on Saturday. But first, we need to talk about the big game coming up tomorrow night. Uh, by that, I, uh, of course, I'm referring to Canada against Ghana at RFK Stadium right here in Washington, D.C. Pablo has uncovered an incredible promotional advertisement for this game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's worth... Uh listening to maybe actually you know what hold on a second we got a we got a caller on the line i, I figured we get a lot of callers today all right 202 you're on open wide person soccer how can we help you 202 is he come coming in. through washington dc come in the head coach and the technical director could you even possibly at this point with everything that's happened be a situation where he's only the technical director do you think that he would be able to give up Follow his pride, give up the head coach, head coaching job, and just take over a technical director. And would we even want him as that? And two, conspiracy theory: it was Benny Selhaber who was the leak in 2013 at Brian Strice article uh, before the Snow Classico game. It was probably Benny Selhaber, and it's like never been called in again. And I'm pretty sure something like that is going to happen again with all this stuff that's happened. The players, somebody's going to come out and say some stuff. Player revolt. With that being said, don't know how I feel about Klinsman. I'm going to let you guys uh, answer that, and I'm going to listen. Thanks. All right, man. Cheers. Well, I think Benny Benny Failhaber hasn't been with the national team since. He he has uh, one cap in January or 2014. Let's point out that it was about 15 players in the press. Yeah. I I don't want to speculate on the anonymous sources and, you know, someone's article. Uh, but you know, I, it's safe to say, I think that some players did see their national team careers wind down because of that story. So, uh, tell you what, uh, for the caller, we'll get to your question about Clemson, the technical director a little bit later in the show. You would do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely on the docket. Cause I have a, I have a pressing need right now to, uh, Play, play the this. aforementioned promo. Yeah, exactly. Let me get it pulled up here. Sorry. This is... Here we go. Here we go. Top Global LLC presents Ghana versus Canada International. International. Friendly match at the RFK Stadium. 2400 East Capitol, Southeast Washington, D.C. On Tuesday, October 13th, 2015. Time 7.30 p.m. Tickets, $53. VIP, $98. Reasonable. Tickets, 240-618-6420. www.dcunited.com slash tickets. www.topgloballlc. 
rlc.com. So, I liked it. Anybody want to go, go to a Ghana Canada friendly at RFK Stadium for ninety-eight dollars? <laughs> Who priced those tickets? There's Probably gonna be some, like, no one there. Ghanaian warlord of some <laughs> sort, you know. And uh, what what motivated them to schedule this game in that stadium? Uh, so I read this. Uh, who was it? Goff, I think, mentioned that. Uh, there's just a very well-to-do um, businessman from Ghana in the D.C. area who sort of, like, funded a lot of it, put it all together. Yeah, because that's where we're at. Paid for, <laughs> paid for Lloyd Sam's passport. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Somehow made him a U.S. citizen. Anyways. A, Ghana- a, a Ghanaian citizen. It was yeah. a good promo. I could have used a few more explosions, though, if we're being honest. Yeah, it was a little too subtle for yeah. my taste. Um, all right. Let's, let's just get into it. I think it's, it's worth mentioning, by the way, we're we're expecting to have Jurgen Klinsman calling at some point during the hour. Not really sure when. Yeah, not sure know, how we managed to pull off that booking, but you know, we're maybe the podcast has really taken off and people respect us and understand our reach, and we're at the point where the head coach U.S. national team just wants to call in. Yeah, I don't know. I have you know no idea. He knows we're going to have literally dozens of listeners tonight, and <laughs> this is his chance to kind of get his message across to the U.S. fan base who are understandably upset right now. Yeah. And, and they are upset because the CONCACAF Cup did not go great. In fact, that entire, di- that entire day did not go great for U.S. <laughs> soccer, I think it's safe to say. Um, so, I don't know. We'll call it Black Saturday, <laughs> you know. I don't know exactly what you guys want to talk about, but I think we should start not just with the result, but the entire flow of the game. Specifically, the flow toward the U.S. half. <laughs> right. <laughs> um <laughs> How, you know, the U.S. was two minutes away from PKs, and that put some gloss on it. Uh, you know, obviously on paper, it looks like it was a pretty even game, back and forth. You know, a couple equalizers well, from the Jürgen, U.S. Well, Jürgen said it was a pretty even game. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the score, I guess he's accurate. Um, but, yeah, it was just uh, Mexico coming at the U.S. wave after wave. U.S. didn't really know how to deal with... Uh, Tuca Ferretti's tactical choice to go with three forwards, which was a bit of a surprise. It kind of leaked in like the day or two before the game, but I don't think anyone before that would have expected that formation or that personnel. And the U.S. just kind of seemed flabbergasted by it. They didn't adjust during the game. They did make a couple substitutions that worked out. The timing of those subs, you know, maybe could have been earlier. We can talk about that. And also, uh, I think... What's most interesting is Klinsman, who's all about taking the game to the opponent in these big showdowns and playing proactive possession soccer, once again in the big match, just saw the U.S. sit back and play counterattacking soccer, looking to score on set pieces and fast breaks, and looked a lot like Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena-era U.S. national team. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and it's one we've seen throughout the, the Klinsman reign Uh, Specifically, I'm thinking of a few games in the World Cup last summer where they were playing against superior opponents. They don't go out and set up and try to take the game to the team. Klinsman, you know, for all of his idealistic talk, is very much a pragmatist when it comes to these games. Uh, The question is... is, It's not about the World Cup. Let's be honest here. They played... They probably took it to Portugal for 15 minutes, and the, literally the rest of all their games, they were on their heels. Well, right. They were I, really I, good in the first 30 seconds against Ghana. <laughs> like, it was all U.S. Yeah. The, the, the question is, and I, I, I think I saw some quotes actually from uh, Moises Munoz, the, the Mexico goalkeeper, who indicated that he was a little surprised at how much respect the U.S. gave Mexico. Because 
in the end, the U.S. wasn't playing Belgium. They weren't playing Germany. Uh, they were playing a Mexico team who was kind of reeling after their gold cup, even though they won. They were playing a Mexico team who just got a new coach in, and they're about to get another new coach in. Uh, so it, the, the, it's Jürgen not like... Klinsmann is playing a team he's never lost to as a player or a coach. Right. It, it, this this isn't the game that you would think the U.S. needed to necessarily bunker in and, and counter, but that's what we saw for most of the and, game. And I'll say for what it's worth, I don't think the U.S. set out to bunker in and counter. And actually, after the game, Michael Bradley went into very detailed tactical analysis with the reporters, more so than really any player I've ever seen, basically saying, you know, Mexico came at them with the three forwards. They had to get numbers back to deal with it. That was just the reality of the situation. And then when they looked the counter, they just, you know, they were pinned too far back and couldn't get anything going. And it was just cyclical. It wasn't necessarily... You know, an approach. It yeah. was just the reality of the situation. Right. I mean, when the U.S. started in that diamond, they had those two outside midfielders pinned back a lot. Yeah. So then you win the ball, and what are your options higher up the field? There's right. not There's not much. And, uh, you know, Dempsey and Altidore, to an extent, they're on an island, and then also maybe the movement could have been better, and they could have been more of an outlet. Um, it, it, was a, it was a bit of a strange situation because Mexico kind of played with five defenders for most of the game, which meant that, you know, those two forwards did have a lot of pressure on them. Where there was space was through the middle, where Mexico really just had Gordado and Hector Herrera, and the U.S. couldn't take advantage of that numbers game. It was as simple as that. The, the diamond was, I guess, a bit too congested. Players weren't clean enough on the ball, and weren't finding the space, and... They just weren't good enough in that. Uh, you know what? Sorry to interrupt you, Thomas. I actually think uh, we got a caller here. Strange, it's a Germany country code. Trisad, I, I don't know who, who this would, might be. Who would be calling us from Germany? I don't know. Jürgen's lived in the, the U.S. for a long time, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it but, would, uh, wouldn't be. Yeah, our producer's telling us it's Jürgen Klinsmann on the line right now. Wow. Um, I think we got him on the line. Jürgen, uh, how are you doing today? Good morning, everybody. Okay. Uh well, listen. The three of us are really, uh, really excited you called, man. We're, 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 we're obviously super amped for this entire experience. Wow! What an introduction at at five o'clock Pacific Coast time. Oh, that's very specific. That's interesting. All yeah. Right. Let's 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 get into the game. Um, you know, you must be really disappointed after losing to Mexico in this game. When you look back on it, were there any decisions that you, as a coach, could have made a little bit differently? A lot has to do with the quality of your players. Oh. Uh, right, right, right. right. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay, but you've had success with the same players in the past. This was pretty much the same lineup you used in the World Cup opener against Ghana, a big win. Uh, do you personally bear any of the responsibility? <laughs> it is what it is. Can I change it anymore? Uh, I mean, are there are there like tactical changes you could have made? I mean, anything, any any tactics you would have employed? Well, I, um, to be honest, I don't have a preferred system. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, we, I think we gathered that. Yeah, right? we've been we've been able to see that. Uh, l- l- let's move on. You know, there's been a lot of people calling for your job, but there's also a line of thought that you're not really in any kind of danger because you're the head coach, and then you're also the technical director. You're signed to a big contract, so there'd have to be a huge buyout. I mean, what's your reaction to all that? Thank you very much, Sunil. <laughs> that's that's um, awful. Um, all right, l- let's move on a little bit. Just, how disappointed are you, Jurgen, that long-tan citizenship 
uh, that process seems to have hit a wall. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, it's a bummer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're in agreement. So you're going to obviously you sent home Fabian Johnson uh, today because you know presumably because you're upset with his decision to ask. Uh, you know, ask out of the game. You know, what went into your thought process there? Because I just see some other players slightly ahead of him. Right, but I mean, can you explain who you think is a better choice at outside back? It's, uh, yeah, unsichtbar. Also, er wurde gespielt irgendwo, aber es ging eigentlich nur drum um American football, baseball, basketball and, and ice hockey. Uh, I'm sorry, uh... The three of us don't speak German. What did you say? I think I have a certain sense of how Americans think and how they act. So I'm not coming in here and, and play the European guy. Uh, all right. I, I think you're starting to ramble a little bit. Listen, Jurgen, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think we're all blown away that you called and, you know, we'll let you go. Uh, one last question. I mean, do you have any, uh, you know, any plans for after the game on Costa Rica? What are you, what are you planning to do after the match? Okay, right. that's interesting. Got, got a bit intense at the end. Let's go. Let's go from Jurgen Klinsmann to a to a to a caller nine seven eight. You're on Open Wide for Zim Soccer. How can we help you? Hey guys, um, big fan of the show. Um, this is, I guess, kind of my question. I guess kind of has to do a little bit with Fabian Johnson, but um, I know obviously a lot of people are calling for Klinsmann's head after the recent results, uh, and I think. Justifiably so, but um, my question is: Do you think that if you know the United States were to go with you know a, a more American coach, you know a guy like Bob Bradley or someone like that, you know if that were to happen, um, do you think that the U.S. would still be able to kind of recruit um, the dual national players the way that Clinton was able to, especially like the German American guys? Like, do you think that um, if Bob Bradley had been the coach, if um, that uh, the U.S. would have been able to Get guys like him on the team. I think that's a great question. It is because yeah. it's it's probably Klinsmann's biggest success. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there there are two parts of it. Um, I think uh, one thing worth saying is other people, particularly friend of the show Thomas Rongen, <laughs> were the guys who initially discovered some of these younger prospects. You look at uh, mixed discrude and you know, actually. Thomas was on Twitter today earlier mentioning some of the others. I don't have them off the top of my head. That said, there are some players, such as Aaron Johansson, who straight up have said, like, wow, I never even thought about playing for the U.S. And then I had a voicemail from Jurgen Klinsmann, and I couldn't believe it. And it was obvious, at least in his case, that... It's a celebrity thing almost. Exactly. Yeah. That, you know, Klinsmann being the U.S. coach was a very much a contributing let's factor. Just, let's just say that voicemails from Jurgen Klinsmann are more exciting than voicemails from Bob Bradley. Right. And <laughs> I, I, w- I, will say, I will say this. Uh, Bob Bradley did recruit a couple of the dual national guys himself, uh, Timothy Chandler being one of them. And, uh, and oh, actually... And Jermaine Jones as well. Yeah, right. Uh, that was that was Bob Bradley. But I, I also think that it's an interesting part of Jurgen Klinsmann's dual role because if he were theoretically like our first caller suggested to to leave as head coach and stay on as as technical director, he could still play an active role in recruiting some of these guys, and that is something that you know we all agree has been an unqualified success of the Klinsman reign i mean you look at the, the the guys that he's brought over into the national team program uh it's been a huge boost and you know we'll have to wait and see with some guys like zalalem but uh it would be interesting to see 
if that would uh, continue if he if he moved over to the only a technical director role. All right, man. We appreciate the call. I'm gonna let you go. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good show. Yeah, cheers. Um, we are having a good show. Let's let's walk right into that. Let's walk right into what, you know. Let's go ahead and answer the callers. The first caller's question. Yeah. You know, because it's something we I, we're talking about on the way over here, and I um, I, I I don't know. Uh, Contractually, so, so, well, first of all, though, first of all, would you want to keep him as a technical director? Because that's, to me, it's difficult to, you know, obviously the his results as a, as a coach are tangible things that are easy to measure. Um, you know, let me rephrase that: his result, his results as a, as a coach in meaningful games, probably wouldn't save his job. You know, yeah. um, as a technical director, I mean, you're talking about more sort of vague, you know, far sweeping. You know changes that he wants to make, and none of us really have any idea whether that's happening or not. Yeah, I, I think it's a difficult hypothetical just to get out of the way because I don't think it would happen. I just think his ego is too big to take the sort of demotion, if you will, that would involve. You know, it would need to be a situation where he would, you know, maybe after the next World Cup, graciously step aside as coach and stay on as technical director. That said, I actually do think there is merit to him potentially being technical director. A lot of the things that are uh, issues players have highlighted with him are things that are just day-to-day basis coaching things. You know, the lack of tactical you know preparation for a given game. The fact that he spends a lot of his very limited time with the players worrying about fitness and you know making them go through a social media seminar and having them uh you know take blood tests like big picture stuff that you know as a head coach of a national team where you get the players for you know like 10 days at a time doesn't really make sense to waste time on but as a technical director you try to implement these things on a more widespread level Maybe there's merit to it, and you know the philosophy makes more sense. And let's be honest, this job is way too big for these dual jobs are, are way too big for one person. Yeah, you can't reasonably expect somebody to do everything that is required of a national team program technical director and a men's national team head coach. Like, it, there's not enough hours in the day. So, yeah, I think that he could be more effective if he just went to one of those roles and probably like you mentioned the role that he seems better suited for is his technical director i gotta be honest with you man I, and this is something that you know the, the, for example the uh i mean i guess that was actually jürgen klinsman on the phone but if i if i wanted to fake that i would have made a soundboard and that would involve me listening to 30 or 40 minutes of jürgen klinsman clips on youtube and had i done that i would have thought that, all right, look, I listened to him talk for 30, 45 minutes today, and I'm completely convinced that he has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> he's in way over his head. He never says anything other than three or four obvious points, which are that the players need to push themselves harder. I want them to compete at their highest level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was explaining to Seth, it actually reminds me a lot of Ben Olsen. And the, the difference between, say, a coach so- like... Hold on. Stop. <laughs> I'll let you continue. The difference between a coach like Ben Olsen and a coach like Jurgen Klinsmann is Ben knows his limitations and he knows that he's still learning and, you know, maybe surrounds himself with people that are stronger tactically. And he doesn't say things like, I'm here to completely reinvent DC United, the entire team, and on the field, off the field, everything. We have to change the culture of this club, which he should probably do. But, <laughs> you know, whereas Jurgen, you know, I, I kind of feel like he dug his own grave. Right. I mean, as an introductory press conference, he's talking about 
changing the entire soccer culture in this country, which takes a lot longer than one World Cup cycle. Yeah, you know? uh, and just the contradictory messages at times of the two different roles that as technical director, you want to instill proactive possession oriented soccer and maybe rely on a younger generation and bring in the youth movement of players who have been a part of this system that he's developing uh, through the the de- de- developmental stages of his, of their careers. And then as a head coach, you need to be pragmatic. You need to sometimes play a more defensive uh, lineup or put out a starting 11 that has aging veterans on it because of their experience. And uh, it is an issue when you have these two different roles that at times conflict with each other. That's the risk you take as a coach. Mm-hmm. Valid point, Jurgen. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go back into the game itself. Uh, I think that two players on the U.S. that we would all agree had a really good game uh, was the center back pairing, uh, Jeff Cameron, Matt Beasler. Uh, you know, Cameron has been played at a number of different positions throughout his club and national team career. Uh, this summer, Stoke City apparently held him back uh, from the Gold Cup with uh, injury concerns, although we're kind of dubious about how hard Jurgen may have pushed for him to be on the roster. Uh you know, in, in light of the performance of Jeff Cameron and Matt Beasler, I think, first of all, we have to offer a little bit of praise for Klinsman because he started the right center back pairing. For he, once. He didn't start Ventura Alvarado. And <laughs> honestly, I don't think anyone would have been that surprised if he did let, if he did start him in, because he continued to do so all summer in the face of mounting evidence that he wasn't ready. Yeah, let's go. Let's pick that up in a second. Let's go right back to the phones here. 301, you're on Open Wide for some soccer. Uh, do you want Jurgen Klinsman fired? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> That's a predictable one, yeah. So, uh, what's going on, man? Uh, so, yeah, I heard you guys going back into the actual game. That's what I wanted to do. And so I thought pretty much every player played well, if you think about it, except for Dempsey and Outstore. But overall, everyone played very well. I, w- I would say Fabian Johnson had a pretty poor game. Yeah, I, I would say... And I think a couple players like Beasley... Actually, yeah. Fullbacks were pretty bad. <laughs> I, well, they had just little individual moments that right. cost them dearly. But overall, they were pretty good. Yeah, I, I also would say that I think Jones and Beasley got gassed and as a result played poorly in overtime but that's not in my opinion that's not really on them that's probably on the coach for leaving them in the game i do think dempsey had a really shitty match i really do and i but i mean and i I don't know if he can be blamed for going the distance but i mean he looked gassed and and you know the 80th 85th minute he looked ready to come off the field you know yeah but who do you replace him with i mean and the, again, uh, this wasn't something I even really planned to bring up, but classic, kind of a little bit of a tangent. U.S. players seem to get gassed a lot and have muscle injuries, and I wonder if it's because you know they spend a week in a camp with Jurgen Klinsmann if that has negative effects. I think it's a, I think it's a valid concern <laughs> yeah. because I mean, the, at- the, the muscle injuries have increased, and I think you look at. Philip Blom's book, that was one of his major 
complaints about Klinsman at, at Bayern Munich was that they were overtrained. So yeah. this is not something new. But to get back on topic, it, I mean, there are players who, yeah, the center backs played very well. Guzan, I thought, played well. Bradley was very good. Maybe faded a bit as the game wore on, as did everyone else. I think Beckerman kind of drifted in and out of the game. Yeah, Becker, was okay. Beckerman was know. okay. I yeah. thought Zardes was mediocre, but then Yedlin was very good coming off the bench. So, yeah, I mean... There's, uh, there were good individual performances, just couldn't really string together the result as a unit. Anything, <laughs> anything else, man? Uh, yeah, I just want to say Bradley played probably one of the best games I've ever seen him play in a U.S. shirt. I've seen Very such, recent, recent I've, I've seen such conflicting views on that. I gave yeah. him a. Like, very good. Like, not great, but very good rating in the match ratings I did for goal. I saw some people who were just like, Bradley was garbage. Like, Yeah, I, that's like, that's classic. That's people, I mean, Bradley is one of the most polarizing players on the U.S. team. Because I mean, he just has so much responsibility. Whatever yeah. the result is, people are just going to. He's going to bear the brunt of it. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I thought Bradley was quite good. Yeah. All right, man. We appreciate the call. Cheers. Take care. I'll see for the national team. <laughs> <laughs> Get him U.S. citizenship. Oh, man. Oh, wait. He, he could ba- barely even I crack the DC United story. DC United is desperately missing Davey Arnault because of it. Yeah. I think it would be better with the front three of Eddie Johnson, Chris Rolfe, and either Freddie Adu or Longtan on the right. Either Freddie Adu or Longtan. <laughs> Take that toss up. Hang the phone up yeah. and yeah. wash your mouth out with soap. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu is God. Anyways. Uh, whoa. I'm sorry. Lontana's God. Whoa. I thought, Lontana's uh, God. I, th- I thought you were. Forgive, forgive I, me, I thought you were being ironic and then. Goodness. Um, let's go back a little bit before the the, the call. Uh, you know, with, with, with Cameron and Beezer playing so well. You have to give Klinsman credit, but also, does this shine a light more on the poor decision that was the never-ending pairing of, of yeah. Brooks and, and Alvarado uh, at the Gold Cup? You have to remember, Beasler was left off the team entirely, wasn't even called in for the knockout round. Yeah. And then Brooks, who was pretty up and down, was hurt for this game. So it's not like maybe maybe he starts this game if he's if he's not injured. It's not like Beesler's form in MLS is really any different now than it was in the Gold Cup. I mean, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess like we said with Cameron, he kind of has an out in that. You know, obviously Stoke wanted him to say, but again, we don't really know. I mean, you were saying like yeah. both of us feel like he could have pushed to maybe at least get him for the knockout round, right? I and he, and he should have. Sorry, he should have known. After seeing Ventura Alvarado in the group phase, that that was a change that he needed to make. Right. Uh, my thing with uh, yeah with Cameron is he did not play once for the national team from November until September, and I think the fact that he wasn't in the picture for the March and April and June friendlies, Klinsman, for whatever reason just got fixated on the idea of this Brooks-Alvarado pairing, despite the fact that Alvarado, just to be frank, was never good for the national team. From his first game, he just looked completely in over his head. Uh, And so I I imagine, again, bit of speculation here, that when Cameron asked to sit out the Gold Cup, that Clinton was like, yeah, that's fine. We don't, you know, he was going to be sitting on the bench behind Ventura-Alvarado anyway, was probably what went through his mind. So... They didn't really push it. 
because uh, uh, I find it hard to believe that they couldn't have at least gotten him for the knockout rounds, you know, for, for three games. So. Yeah, and I also would just like to add that Ventura Alvarado made the roster for the CONCACAF Cup, despite right. the fact that he's played a grand total of one game for Club America since August. Yeah. So even even then, that doesn't preclude him from involvement with the u.s roster and, and before then he had like a own goal and a penalty kick called against him like he's he's not been good right uh so back in the game for a second i wanted to bring up the topic of, of klinsman's subs because i think it's an it's an interesting talking point because i've seen such varying reaction to 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 jurgen subs during this game you know I, on, on one hand you can say that that klinsman got his subs spot on because he brought in Yedlin and he brought in Bobby Wood and they combined to score that goal in extra time. And on the other hand, I think there's a definite sense that he waited too long to make some of these subs. He left some guys on, like we mentioned, Jones, Dempsey, Altador, Beasley, just to mention a few that were totally gassed and could have been subbed out late in the second half or in the to extra time. Uh, so, uh, what what are your guys' thoughts on on how Klinsman handled his his subs in this game? Yeah, I I thought there were some some major issues. Uh, I thought uh, maybe maybe we just start talking about his bench in the first place, right? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I I tweeted something about this. Like, so Bobby Wood was the first player, first forward off the bench, second sub overall, and he wasn't even on the original 23-man roster. It required an illness for Alejandro Bedoya uh, for Wood to be added to the roster 24 hours before the game. You have a 23-man roster for a single game, and you construct a roster where you you can't manage to include you know the guy who would be your first forward off the bench so i maybe we can get more into it but there there's some concerns about this situation yeah, let's, let's go back to the phones real quick 414 you're an open wide for some soccer how can we help you uh i think Jurgen Klinsmann should be fired based on results but i find it completely ironic that the criticism that landon donovan is saying himself when he himself could not handle the pressure of being a footballer he had to take a break, which is ridiculous in my personal opinion, and yet he's calling for he's calling for there to be pressure on Jurgen Klinsmann. When let's be honest, when Landon Donovan was playing, there was no media attention besides praise for the guy, and the only thing that was criticized about him, there wasn't more criticism of him when he made these uh, sabbaticals or when he left big club teams because he couldn't ride the bench when he was younger. If you look at it, if he was in any other footballing country, he would have been treated completely differently. Uh, and as far as the players, there needs to be blame to go on players as well. This was the best starting 11 that the U.S. could have fielded, in my personal opinion. And Dempsey and Altidore did nothing. And then people that talk about bringing a coach like Bob Bradley, are you nuts? Bob Bradley was outcoached by Chapel de la Torre in a major final. It's Chapel, and you were outcoached with Hector Reynoso playing in that back line. I mean, I, I think you could, just to start at the tail of your question, they could make an argument that, you know, I'm, I. I don't. I haven't necessarily suggested that Bradley could be the coach. I think he'd be a fine coach. You could make an argument that he's gone to Europe and guided 
you know, a team to the top of the table with basically no resources and, you know, very few good players. I mean, certainly the Bob Bradley you see now isn't the Bob Bradley from four or five years ago. Um, as for Landon, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have a huge problem with him taking a sabbatical? Like, it's, uh, it's life. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not into, you know, expecting athletes to be cyborgs. But Yeah, that was know. pretty much the uh, metaphor I was going to use. Um, yeah. Uh, m- my whole issue with that situation is I wouldn't have agreed with it, but if Klinsman had decided to sever ties with Landon then, like, all right, you're missing out on let's, big World Cup qualifiers. Let's also be yeah. realistic, Ben. Landon Donovan in his club career never played poorly enough to ride the bench. All right, I mean, he's talking about, he's talking about Klinsman being judged on a string of really poor performances in meaningful games. I mean, that's not really something Landon Donovan ever necessarily did. Right, yeah. and, and just one more point to add you know when you say that that donovan hasn't faced any criticism then clearly you weren't paying attention after the 2006 world cup right because donovan was crushed for his performance in that tournament and and rightly so because he was poor but after the 2002 world cup when he sort of had this breakout performance everyone was expecting big things and And, after 2006 and by the way donovan donovan's really one of the only used players who faces criticism even when he does well I mean, the fact that after he's – the fact that he inspires a reaction like yours, not that there's anything wrong with it, after he retires and makes one pretty harmless comment in the media goes to show you. I mean, there are a lot of people who still genuinely dislike Lynn and Donovan as a soccer player and a person for some reason, you know? And I don't know. Yeah, and to kind of wrap up the point I was making earlier, like, I, I, I didn't really have – an issue with the sabbatical, I think the the bigger problem there was Klinsman welcoming him back to the picture and then cutting him from the team for you know for whatever Klinsman said. It clearly was because of some resentment over the the break he took. So I again like I I think in that situation really Klinsman's the one who put the the attention on himself there. All right, man, we appreciate your call. All right, so that was a little bit of a we got a little sidetrack there. Um, so yeah, we were just talking about the roster construction. Basically, what I was getting at was Klinsman for a single game selected the roster with frankly just an absurd number of defenders. You know, you bring defenders as depth for a long tournament when you're playing one game. You probably need to just bring two or three backup defenders and say, all right, you know, that'll be enough. You know, we have cover if there's an injury, but, you know, aside from that, let's let's bring some attacking weapons in case we need to get a goal. Like, those are the players you use off the bench. So right, the fact we're talking about players like Lee Nguyen. Yeah, you could have brought Lee Nguyen. You could have brought uh, even – I can't Gordon. believe I'm saying this. Like, Alan Gordon would have been far more useful to this roster than Michael Orozco. Yeah, who was, I mean – Orozco was basically the third-string player at several different positions. Especially he, he if did you're, not need you're in a position there. at the end of the game where you're just lumping balls into the box or hoping to nick one on a set piece. Yeah, so, know, like. so it – I, I do realize it's a little backward to criticize Klinsman for something because he brought in a player who ended up scoring a goal. So in a, in a vacuum, that's you know a oh, great decision, brought him in off the bench. But it also shines a light on the fact that you know w- what's going on with his talent evaluation. Why can't, why is he picking a twenty three man roster? And, uh, you know, the day before the game is changing his mind on, you know, deciding one player who wasn't good enough for the 23 is now one of the 14 you want to use. What changed in the, you know, week 
he had, you know, uh, it just makes no sense to me. And it, and it seems worrisome that his evaluation of his own players is all over the place like that. Yeah, and I think the Bobby Wood point can also be extrapolated a little bit more to the to the Gold Cup because um, yeah. it was a little strange to, to not see Bobby Wood on the Gold Cup roster after the performances he had in the friendlies against Netherlands and Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and it goes back. It's not just this game. This isn't the first time this has happened with Klinsman. Uh, go way back to you know the uh, 2000, uh, 20, 2014 World Cup qualifying. There is uh, U.S.-Mexico. They ended up starting Clarence Goodson in that game, and he had just been cut from the roster for the previous match. So he went from not good enough for the whole team to good enough for the starting lineup. You know, they, it, things like this just keep happening with him where he's kind of, you know, it looks like he's almost like it just very sporadic with how he looks at his players and changes his mind on a whim, and it makes you wonder how thoroughly he's formulating opinions. I want to talk a little bit about his post-game comments, too, because there were a couple pretty bizarre ones in there. Uh, the first one is when he said that he thought the game was pretty even. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what to say about that. The, in terms of the score? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a game where Mexico had 63% possession uh, and outshot the U.S., had more chances, scored more goals. I mean, I don't know how that could have been construed as even, but whatever. Uh, the, the question that I wanted to ask more was, what was the deal with his comments about the refs in the Gold Cup? Uh, Thomas, you can tell me more since you were at the press conference about uh, the context, but it seemed really bizarre that he would he would bring something like that up. Yeah, it came out of nowhere the same way it came out of nowhere when he did his post-game press conference at the Gold Cup third place game. I know you were there for, or both of you were there for that one, and it's like, you know, basically, as far as I can tell, he is still fixated on the Brad Guzan handball against Jamaica. So that was a game where the U.S., you know, was thoroughly outplayed in the first half, trailing 2 nothing at halftime. It was the right call on paper, and he's still bringing that up essentially as an excuse months later. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's very, uh, you know, when you see that out of the coach, you know, obviously... You know, sometimes it's satisfying to see a coach go after the refs, you know, because, uh, all right, you know, when Ben Olsen does it, it's great because he's usually right. He yeah. picks, you know, he, he's legitimately outraged about things. It's also not yeah. usually when the refs are bad across the board. Right. It was the case. Well, it's yeah. interesting, Thomas, that you, you mentioned the, the Guzan handball because Klinsman's comment was basically if it weren't for some bad refereeing decisions in the Gold Cup, we wouldn't even be here tonight. And I sort of took that to be more aimed at Mark Geiger sure. um, or, me... or whoever the referee was in Mexico's quarterfinal game because they got the benefit of some really bad calls. Uh, and, and that you know wouldn't make sense because maybe they wouldn't be there playing against Mexico, but the U.S. lost to Jamaica, so they would still be playing Somewhere. that CONCACAF game against either Panama or Jamaica. All right, let's go back to the phones real quick. 301, you're on open wide for some soccer. How can we help you? Hello. 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 Yeah, I'm just bashing and drinking Glitzman. Um, How about it? You know, <laughs> That's what we're here for. This is a safe space for you. <laughs> like, man, look, the World Cup, yeah, we, we went to the round of 16, but playing horribly. I mean, if, if not because of Howard, that game would have ended 10 0. I'm talking about the Belgian game. Then, fast forward, Gold Cup, 
failure. This is Jamaica. Then the horrible game against Brazil. Now yesterday's game and the Olympic team almost eliminated. So all of that added up should make U.S. soccer think, oh, are we really moving in the right direction or should we take a different direction? I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, I, I know, mean, I'll tell you what they're thinking. thinking I'll tell you what they're thinking is that they have uh, – and I'm going to let you go. we got another call right behind you. Um, I'll tell you what they're thinking is that we, they, we owe this man – it's like five to eight million dollars well, the next two or three and years. It's, and it's not just the money, but also you have to take into account that Sunil Gulati spent years chasing after this guy. And when he finally got him, after a couple of years, he gave him not only a contract extension, but a promotion before he ever took part in a World Cup. Yeah. So he, Klinsman has so much leverage here that, you know, any, any thought that he could get canned i think is is really unrealistic i think most people are sort of aware of that one one last thing one last thing real quick um, sure and so so what so what's going to happen for u.s soccer to realize that we're not moving in the right direction not going to the world cup remember what happened to mexico last time i don't want to feed up for the united yeah. states the, <laughs> uh, well and yeah the funny thing is i think there's a very good chance that u.s soccer does realize that it's just not realistic to make a change at this point, yeah. you know, because of the resources committed to him. I mean, that said, well, I mean, the, nothing's... And the, and the timing, too. I mean, yeah. you're literally a month away from opening cup qualifiers. Right. And the thing is, I've seen multiple uh, reporters with connections high up say that, you know, U.S. soccer has said nothing is impossible. You know, you know, if they are absolutely tanking it and qualifying, something will happen. But I think that is what it will take. It would need for them to be like on the fringe of being knocked out World Cup qualifying. For Mexico their would have to score to qualify as like we did for them. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Thank you. No problem. Man. Thanks for the call. So where were we? Um, we, well, we, get, we got we got about fifteen left or so. Um, well, I want to get more into some some big picture stuff, uh, just about Klinsman in general, because. I maintain that Klinsman's on-field results throughout his tenure have not been disastrous. When you go all the way back and you look, you know, they, they finished top of the hex. They won the 2013 Gold Cup. They got out of their group in the World Cup, you know, as, as poorly as maybe they played. They got out of the group. But I, I think where, where Klinsman has really hurt himself is with the things that he has promised and, and and the changes that he has said he will make. And I, I think more than any on-field results, Klinsman's perception right now is in the tank because of his on-field results in contrast with what he has promised. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also uh, just the vagueness of the rhetoric that is very frustrating to uh, U.S. fans. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones. A lot of people tonight. 240... You're an open wide for some soccer. Do you want Jurgen Klinsmann dead? <laughs> I do. Um, oh, my God. I, I feel like, I don't know, man. I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about, right, um, people are getting frustrated with Klinsmann about not playing the type of soccer he always talked about, uh, and then other people defending it by saying, well, look at the players. They're not good enough to do that. So I was wondering, I always feel like that's selling the players short. Um, and even if it's not, um, I think we have players in our pool who are capable of it who aren't getting called up. So either way, I feel like that's on Clemson. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm going to agree with you in a certain to a certain extent because I think uh, if you go back to Bob Bradley, Bruce Arena, something both of them did very well is is coach to their players' strengths and not to their weaknesses. You know, none, neither of those players ever played, you know, guys way out of position or purposely sort of tried to push them outside their comfort zone. Sometimes that's the right course of action, I think, you know. I, I, I'll say this. I, I think that if the U.S. plays Brazil ten times, they probably lose at least seven or eight times. But I think that, like you said, Pablo, if they put – they have a good enough team – where if they put together a, a good game plan, they can they can beat anyone, and they have some good individual performances. And also on the flip side of that, it's not just how they've been playing against the top teams; they've been struggling against teams in Concacaf that they should be having no issue with. The way that they got completely outplayed by the likes of Haiti this yep. summer uh, that 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 is problematic. And and when you talk about the level of the players. They sure as hell are good enough to go out and beat Haiti. By it is more. what it is. Can I change it anymore? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think you can fixate a bit on the player selection. You know, I've seen some people kind of voice the opinion that, you know, look, you know, if if you think the random player who you've been harping to get a call up, harping on to get a call up, would have made the difference, you're fooling yourself. I mean. Maybe, but also I think, uh, yeah, if they have, you know, maybe one or two more players who would have fit the the system better, like for for example, yeah, getting a little sidetracked here, the diamond midfield with Jossie Zardis on the flank, you know, I thought Zardis was pretty ineffective, was a little bit of a defensive liability, doesn't really work in that system. There are players in the U.S. pool who would be much better for that role. But Klinsman, for all his talk of proactive possession soccer, really loves guys who just run at defenders and have speed and athleticism. It, again, it's one of those things where the the coach seems to contradict the technical director. So it's, you know, uh, it, it's tough to say. There's uh, a lot of angles to this. All right. Thanks, Ed. Yeah, no problem, man. Take care. Anyways, um, uh, you guys, yeah, we were kind of getting into this uh, Klinsman's performance, uh, you know, his his words versus what, what's been going on in the field. You know, what, what do you guys think about that? You know, it's, you know, we, we've talked about it a little bit. It's, yeah, the, the fact that he comes out and says these things repeatedly, like, we need to have uh, players go into these games with confidence and not be intimidated and take the game to the other team. You know, uh, obviously we're not in the training sessions. We're not in the locker room, but he keeps saying that while doing little to illustrate they, what he's doing to actually implement that idea. And sometimes you get the feeling, and again, this is something that you get the sense from reading that Philip Lom book from when he was coach of Germany, that he, this is just a thing he does he has broad ideas and doesn't really implement them in any sort of specific, effective way. And you wonder if that's what's happening here as well. Let's take a question from Twitter real quick. Uh, interesting one. Holden Cribb asks uh, who we think is done with the U.S. national team and who in the player pool should be getting more regular call-ups. Well, I think it's, it's just start with the easy one to Marcus Beasley. Yeah, that... Um, 
He was on the, I, you know. Yeah, I began, you know, we can begin with the guys I mentioned in my, my column that was along these lines. Beasley, Beckerman, Jones. I think Beasley's interesting. Just if the Copa America does happen, I could see a scenario where still a year from now, I don't see any left backs in the pool where I'm like, all right, that's the heir apparent. I look at Kyle Beckerman, and I see six defensive midfielders who I feel like... In MLS alone. Right. You've got <laughs> Will Trapp. You've got Perry Kitchen. You've got Danny Williams, Alfredo Morales, who have already broken through to an extent. You've even got further back Emerson Hindman. There's, um, there are a lot of players who I feel like could fill Beckerman's shoes. Beasley, you know, it says more about the players behind him. Hopefully someone like a Breck Shea or Greg Garza steps up over the next year. And the other is Jermaine Jones. I think he still has a role to play for another year or two. But if you're relying on him as a game-in, game-out starter, I think, you know, that that's a problem going forward. Right. And I, I think an interesting player in this discussion is Clint Dempsey. Yeah, uh, because he's getting up to the age where the U.S. should start to maybe phase him out, but he's proven himself to be too valuable. Yeah, uh, curious, curious to see what happens with Darlington Nagby from this point out too. Start and play every minute. <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I think if speaking of replacements, if uh, if Jossie Zardes is start in the starting lineup, you know, Darlington Nagby absolutely should be. But that's another conversation. You were right. saying about Dempsey. Yeah, um, I mean, he started to maybe show his age over the last few months a little bit more, uh, and I'd be curious to see what happens with him as as they start World Cup qualifying. But it it is a little concerning that Klinsman, in this game against Mexico, put out his best possible lineup, the lineup he thought gave the U.S. the best chance to win right now, with the exception of Bedoya, who was sick, and only two of the players in his lineup were under 28 years old. Yeah. So if your best lineup is filled with so many veterans and so many guys who might not be effective by the time the next World Cup comes around, then you really have to start doing some soul-searching about where this team is and what new pieces need to be implemented immediately. So by the time World Cup 2018 does come around, they've got a little bit of experience at the international level and they're ready to go. Yeah, and it's uh, classic second cycle syndrome, right? You know, a, a coach goes through one World Cup cycle with players, and he has his guys, and he leans on them. And even if a coach thinks he's implementing players, and Klinsman said this, he's like, look, we have we had Jossie Zardes out there. We had DeAndre Yedlin. We put in Bobby Wood. We have youngsters, like, in the lineup. Like, yeah, but there should be more. Um, and yeah, and a, lot of, a lot of those guys, like, like Yedlin, for example, is still so raw. Yeah. You know, still just, I mean, he does one thing and, well. And to yeah. and to be fair, last cycle Klinsman did a very good job of phasing out the veterans. Like he when he took over, he still leaned heavily on Carlos Bocanegra. Um Chirundolo. Tr- Steve Chirundolo yeah. was starting through the first uh phase of World Cup qualifying. You know, a, a couple other guys and he, you know, yeah, he was somewhat cutthroat about just getting those guys out of the picture. So if, you know, maybe... I mean, you know, he basically he need... executed Lennon Donovan, so he <laughs> right. doesn't have any problems uh, I didn't want to bring up that know. one because I did not think he handled that situation well. Um, because I just see some other players slightly ahead of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. Um, That's what it was. But, so yeah. so who, are, who are some names? Let, let's throw some names out there, guys that you would want to see 
get called in over the next few months, either that haven't been with the national team at all or who have only got maybe a couple caps. Uh, all right. So all the, all the central midfielders I mentioned earlier, you know, guys like Will Trap, Perry Kitchen, uh, for sure. Um, they, they're at the point where Kyle Beckerman being in the starting lineup, he's, he might still be a hair better than those guys, but the gap has, has gotten so small that you just go with the younger player. Waylon Francis? Uh, pretty sure he's Costa Rican. Oh, whoops. Uh, (laughs) Uh, no, um, uh, wingers, there are no true wingers really on, on this roster. So you look at Ethan Finley, Mm -hmm. uh, you look at Sebastian Legette. Uh, and then not not that he's really a true winger, but Darlington Nagby is another player who I think would add a lot to the the picture. Um, who else? You guys have anyone? Well, a, a couple of guys. Who... You guys talk, and I'll figure out who I was thinking of instead of Waylon Francis. <laughs> <laughs> well, a couple of guys who are maybe a little older, but are still going to be the age at the next World Cup where they'll be able to contribute. Uh, one guy we've seen a lot with the national team in the past is Sasha Kleschen. Mm, um, yeah. I'd like to see him get another look. He's playing well. And another guy Ethan is, is a Dax, Dax McCarty. Yeah, I Dax was, was going to bring him up. Got yeah. pretty much no run. And, and he's been one of the best central midfielders in MLS for a number of years and seems to be just getting better by the year. Yeah, um, I can't remember if I said this on the show or not, but I've... I just want to make sure you heard that. I was thinking of Ethan Finley. Okay. Yeah, but I yeah. said Waylon Francis for some reason. <laughs> the, they both play out same, wide same for the team. crew. Yeah. Uh, right, they, look, they look a lot alike, too. Yeah, they do, yeah. yeah. Basically uh, doppelgangers. Now, <laughs> uh, uh, Dax McCarty, I've thought for a while, could be this cycle's Beckerman. The, the player who hadn't really gotten a shot seems like he might be too old to be breaking into the national team. But if Klinsman is going to rely on guys like Beckerman and Brad Davis and Wando, all of whom he brought to the World Cup, to their first World Cups when they were 32 years old. Uh, then that's you know Dax McCarty seems like a prime candidate for that. Dax, Dax McCarty is is twenty eight. So yeah, that puts him in at you know early thirties in the next World Cup. Completely conceivable if he can hold off the guys like Kitchen and Trap. Also, also yeah. somebody that from a motivation standpoint has probably wanted this for a long time. Yeah, isn't there's no complacency involved. You know, right? And uh, of and course, I mean, you keep, you've, like Dax is somebody who. Has been kind of on the periphery for two or three years at this point. He's, you know? uh, yeah, he's gotten call-ups. He got one call-up under Klinsman, uh, a January camp right before the World Cup, didn't get capped. And then before that, he got some call-ups under Bob Bradley. He actually capped in the national team one game in 2011, I believe. So he's in the picture, and people have seen the potential in him. And I really think this season he's put it all together for the Red Bulls. He's a huge reason uh, they are where they are in the table, and he's really polished his game. I, earlier in his career, I think he was caught between: is he a D mid? Is he a box the box mid? Is he an attacking mid? We now know he's you know that D mid, more of a deep lying playmaker type, and he uh, you know it seems like he he and Michael Bradley could potentially form a, a very good partnership if they had the chance. What about if you're looking at an outside back? Just tossing this out there. What about Robbie Rogers? Yeah, absolutely. I'd throw him into that left-back conversation uh, immediately. And Klinsman has been a fan of his in the past. So you would think he would get his opportunity probably in this January camp. I mean, with the with the lack of left-back options, you yeah. know, uh, I think that Greg Garza is probably the next guy up in terms of younger players. But, you know, he hasn't been so great that 
you would say that that Rodgers couldn't come in and and give him some competition. Uh, and of course, you know the one name we haven't mentioned that gets mentioned the most, uh, Benny Failhaber. Yeah, uh, Benny's a little older. Boop. I believe he's thirty, um, but certainly the, the the kind of player he is, the kind of his game isn't based you know as much on speed or athleticism uh so certainly a guy who who would be able to contribute at uh at a world cup in two and a half years i mean if you're looking for a young defender maybe matt miasco i think it's sure yeah i mean like again a little early but maybe later in this cycle for sure for him definitely certainly not deep at center back you know yeah Yeah. and i would throw matt hedges into that conversation as well i'm all all about the hedges are you pulling steve birnbaum out of that conversation (laughs) uh yeah i think so i I think birnbaum's like 31 at this point isn't he uh (laughs) i think think, he was in college for like a decade i think birnbaum was 24 at the beginning of DDA Drogba's step over a couple of years ago and <laughs> was 31 at the end of it. Right. Um, yeah. It was a, that was, God, don't, that was frightening. Don't that was it. That. Yeah. Uh, just another random DC United note while we're talking about it. Um, do you can guys, we, by the way, can we talk for 90 seconds to the end of the show about Orlando City? Because for three shows in a row. People on Twitter have asked us to. Well, I don't think it's people. It's a person. Oh, all right. Um, well. It's Garrett Weiss. He always tweets at us about Orlando City, so we got to we got to do it. Uh, Anyways, so for now, well, wait, uh, very quickly. <laughs> think they can win out and make it close? No. Okay, so maybe that counts. Then we did we, just we, do we it? discussed Orlando. Uh, I mean, I guess they might be able to make it close, but they're not going to make the playoffs. All right. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I mean, it's, like, of, it's not that insane of a goal, is it? I mean, if you just, I guess if Montreal loses out, like they're, they're four points behind with two games left. Right. Both so teams. like it's, yeah, it's, so it's conceivable, but I don't think it's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's beyond conceivable. It's, you know, if they win out in Montreal, what's the tiebreaker there? Uh, well, the first tiebreaker I've lost track. MLS keeps changing. Is it wins? Just, is it goal differential? From one year, it was total I goals. Remember was, that? I thought it was goal differential. Uh, now, I, I, or is it goal yeah. scored? All right. Well, well, keep talking. I'm now clicking the tie-breaking <laughs> procedures. It is, <laughs> it is total number of wins, then goal differential, then goals for the tiebreaker. Is Who would how have many? more wins in that situation? Uh, now I have to hit back on my browser. Probably Orlando. I'd guess Orlando. Um. They would be tied in that scenario, so it would then go <laughs> the goal, it would go the goal differential, and unless Mon- Orlando score a ton of goals, they're at minus ten right now, okay, and Montreal's right. in the in the green. All right, so we concluded that no, the tie Anyways. the tiebreaker is DDA Drogba's yeah, on your roster. That's kind of what I was thinking. Um, what was your quick tidbit? Do we have, is there a caller on right now? Whoever's uh, yeah, running the phones. God. Oh hey, our producer didn't even tell us you're on. Uh, welcome to Open Wide for some soccer. How can we help you? Hey, how's it going, guys? Sorry to call in right at the last minute. Um, just a quick question. Um, do you guys follow Gary Clyben on Twitter? I mean, uh, he's kind of a soccer. He's a pro rel guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, then no. <laughs> I'm kidding. Why? What, what did he have to say? Well, um, I've seen his tweets here and there, and like you said, he's kind of a pro rel guy. Um, very, very uh, opinionated. And a lot of what he says, I kind of throw out the window, but in light of recent events, you know, it just seems like maybe, maybe, do you think his basic argument of, 
Jurgen is not the problem. Jurgen is actually the solution, and all the American media are stupid. Soccer reporters are all in the pocket of MLS, blah, blah, blah. Do you think, not so much the media problem, but do you think that his suggestion that um, Jurgen isn't necessarily the problem, it's the pool, it's U.S. soccer, it's the whole centralization, blah, blah, blah. Do you guys think there's some credence to that? Well, I, I'm not familiar with this Twitter account, but I, based on what you described, I'm I'm like 90% sure that's Jurgen under a fake name. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann's the best. He's not the problem. No, I, I'll say Jurgen made remarks similar to that, but he said it was only some. He's like, some media totally get it, and some have no idea what they're talking about, and the same with fans. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's actually true. But Jurgen um, wants to be bothered at the grocery store, right? That's right. how, that's... Right. When... I mean, yeah. All right, so I, I will say this, too. I mean, I think... Uh, I think part of what Jurgen said when he took this job was that he was going to revolutionize. I mean, I, he used the word "turn the pyramid upside down," right? Yeah. He said that at some point. Yeah. I mean, like that was his intro. Or no, that was before he was even hired it's as coach. Something I believe. like that. Yeah. I mean, so what I'm saying is that you know, if you, I mean, you could very easily counter the argument you just made with, well, you know, Jurgen, as technical director, said that he was going to fix a lot of that, and. You know, well, I, like I said, maybe I think he just underestimated the size of the shit pile that he was about to shovel. That's you know, that, like, that, 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 that's yeah. a long that's a long term thing. But I'm going to go back to a point I made earlier. Our player pool may not be up there with the world's best right now, but we have turned in underwhelming performance after underwhelming performance against teams that we should be wiping the floor with in Concacaf. This has happened over and over again. So I don't know what the explanation for that is when it tum- when it comes to the player pool. I mean, what's your what's your personal opinion on this? Do you think Klinsman is to blame, or do you think it's the other way around? I mean, I've had to look at my fandom and, like, where it comes from, because, like, I'm a huge DC United fan. I love MLS, but also, you know, I grew up overseas. I lived in Spain for a bit, so I just like football or soccer in general. But, like, I don't know. Like, like a lot of these players have been around for a while. Bob Bradley got results. Bruce Arena got better results. It's like... Oh, you can say that maybe the player pool sucks, but it doesn't mean you can't get results. And if you're not getting results, you can say, oh, yeah, of course, well, this is a systemic problem, whatever. But, like, people have been working with these players and getting it done, so to speak, without the whole, oh, I'm going to revolutionize everything. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, but on the other hand, it's like maybe maybe there's something we're missing. Maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe only the European can say that. I don't know. It just seems kind of stupid to go that route. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it 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 certainly is, and and I think there, of course, is is a lot of validity to the player pool argument in in, in favor of Klinsman. I mean, they're not there yet, but I, I think that you know the, the, this team is certainly good enough to do better than they have been over the last couple of years. Yeah, I appreciate the call, man. I want to let you go so we can wrap this thing up. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Take care. Um, so yeah, last second. Was there some DC YouTube that you were talking about? Oh no, I was just going to talk about Hamid. For the the goalkeeper oh, yeah, spot yeah. the national yeah. team, like even though he's not going to play, is I mean, he like is he ever going to get a, a, a shot, or is it going to be when he's like thirty five? Well, I, I, if you read, I mean, if you're reading what came out of the presser today, it sounds like Howard is locked to play on Tuesday. Yeah, it wasn't so much the, the, the one game, yeah. just like because I, I I think that maybe there there's a case to be made that Hamid's right up there with Howard and Guzan right now. 
you know, Howard and Guzan, they're good goalkeepers, but they've been underwhelming at, at the club level over the last couple of years. Guzan lost his job. Yeah. I mean, if, if you want to go full player kids, you know what I mean? It, Hamid should certainly be the starting goalkeeper. Oh uh, Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I would just like to see Hamid get a little bit more of a look in, but it's hard when you're a third string goalkeeper and they only play one at a time. And over the last few months, you know, maybe he has been elevated to third string, but he's been behind guys like Johnson and Yarborough over over the last year or so. So, all right, let's get to uh, let's get to Thomas's MLS instant replay segment. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't think we have time for that. This oh, okay. Week. God damn it. Yeah, um, that's like the third Thomas, time Thomas it's been, been on the rundown. To, and it's been trying to get us talk about instant replay for a while. All right, guys, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.